0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the Scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called, A Man After God's Own Heart, on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart, but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart.
1: Calm our hearts, Lord. We are delighted to be in a good place today with friends in the church, with the scriptures with the Holy Spirit, with an open heaven, we ask you to soften and quiet our hearts now, as we draw near to you in Jesus' name, amen. But we are in our series, A Man After God's Own Heart, we're in the sixth week, Beauty and the Beast, or beasts as in this case, since there are two of them in this chapter, and we're going to be, this is, we'll look at the overview of 1 Samuel 25 through 31, because we're doing a study on the life of David, we're not going to look at. Everything in First and Second Samuel, we're focusing primarily on things that teach us about David and how to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Chapter 25 is about Nabal and Abigail. Chapter 26 is the second time that David spares Saul's life. Saul, of course, is the king who, with murderous intention, is trying to wipe out David, who he views as his, correctly as his replacement, sent from God. And verse 27, David is hanging out with Saul's enemies, that's a good place to be, to feel safe, maybe not from the Philistines, but uh, uh, 28 is when Saul goes and visits a, a soothsayer or a witch at a place called Endor on the eve of the battle, with the big battle at the end of 1 Samuel. And 29, Achish sends David back to Ziklag, Achish is the Philistine commander and he decides we can't trust David. Uh, in this battle, something—he—he uh, does it, but the other commanders don't. Don't think it's a good idea. In verse thirty, there's just a, one note where uh, David's hometown, where he's, his his hideout place, is attacked and sacked, and all of his family and everyone's families and all their stuff is hauled away toward Egypt by the Amalekites, and so they go and rescue them, and happy ending there. And then chapter thirty-one is the end of First Samuel and the big battle with the Philistines, and it ends up going against the, uh, the Jews, and Saul ends up committing suicide. Day, uh, Jonathan is also killed. and This happens on Mount Gilboa. So that's our overview of, the, of all those chapters, but we're going to f- zoom in now with your uh, zoom lens to chapter 25 and look at the story of the beauty and the beast, beasts of Nabal and Abigail and David. It and starts off, now Samuel died And all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. And then David moved to a place called Maon, the desert of Maon. And I did you a map. There are very few people that are geographically curious, but I am one of them, so I often will put a map because I'm wondering where is Maon and where is Carmel. And it's just, you can't really read the other things, but you can see it's kind of halfway down the Dead Sea. It's just south of Hebron. Hebron was the part of the promised land that Caleb inherited, remember that's where the giants were, why well, they didn't go into the land at first because they were afraid, so 40 years they wandered in the wilderness and when they finally did get to go in the land and they asked Caleb who by this time was in his 80s, well which you, we'll let you pick which part of the land, he says I want the place where the giants are uh, just to to show everybody that we should have gone in the first time and in about one or two verses they go and take Hebron and kill the giants. So. But this guy, Nabal, actually is a descendant of Caleb, but not as noble as Caleb. So uh, a quick quick overview of the story. be a good one to read with your kids sometime, but you've got this, this guy, Nabal, and his wife, Abigail. He's a wealthy businessman, and David has been hanging out in that part of the country. There's a lot of wilderness and places to hide there and caves and hills and ravines and everything. And apparently David, David has 600 men, so I don't know how you hide with 600 men. Uh, we were 80 men at the retreat, and I'm not sure where we would have hidden. But anyway, so they're, they're hanging out around that area, and this is a, probably one of the wealthier businessmen, had a lot of sheep and goats. And, and apparently David had done a lot of uh, freelance, uh, free of charge, guarding of that man's property. And we see from things that happened like in Ziklag with Amalekites coming in and hauling everything off that there were dangers, there were uh, thieves and roving bands and David instead of being just another roving band and taking what they wanted, they protected them and uh, in the story it says nothing was missing. So anyway, a feast time comes and David sends ten men to see if they would like to let them be part of the party and give them some food a, as a token recognition of the work they've done for him. If you look in verse 9 or 10, Nabal answers and says, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Which means, obviously, he knew exactly who David was. He was the son of Jesse. But it's like, who does he think he is more? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days, so he knew he was on the run from Saul. And why should I take my bread, my water, and the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers? They were shearing the sheep at that time. And give it to men coming from who knows where. So it's a real, it's a giant put down. David's men go back with the news, David says, load your guns, or says, put on your swords. And so they they head off. In the meanwhile, a servant runs to tell Nabal's wife, we've got a big problem here. Our, Our master Nabal has caused trouble again, and David really was had treated us well, and it would have been the least he could have done to give him a little bit of food or something, you know. And this is going to turn out really badly. Uh, look at verse 17, the last thing the servant says. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So that's why the servant didn't bother to try to talk sense in the Nabal. Apparently, Apparently, several had tried. And uh, it had not gone well. So Abigail hurries up. She gets some food together. She sends it on ahead. Then she comes afterwards. She then goes, meets David, intercedes. And the short version is he, he realizes that that was, you know, he was just taken in a moment of rage and really needed to calm down and not uh, take vengeance with his own hand. She then goes back, Nabal's drunk, so she waits till the next day tells him what happened. Apparently at that point he has some sort of a seizure, goes into a coma, lingers for 10 days, and dies. And David hears about that, and then since, you know, since that would meant she would be a widow, he he offers to, to marry her, to take care of her. So that's the short version of uh, 1 Samuel 25 and the story of beauty and the beast. Let's look at Nabal. He was a businessman. He was wealthy. He was married. He was a had good lineage of Calebite. That's on your sheet there. And that's in the tribe of Judah. So that's fine, but it also says he was harsh, evil. He was a worthless man. He was a fool. He was unapproachable. Uh, 1 Samuel 25, 25. Um, anybody got the King James version? King James here? Oh, wow, it has died at Complete death here, okay. <laughs> Let's, uh, first, uh, that verse says, Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as, he, uh, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. In other versions, how does your version read, verse 25? Okay, that, that phrase, that wicked man Nabal, that wicked man Nabal, is, uh, the original is that man of Belial. And it meant, um, and so I've got a little note on that, just for those of you that like linguistic things. I've got geography, linguistics. Man of Belial, it basically meant a person who was deceptive and uncaring of others. Synonyms are from the thesaurus for that, every, every culture, every language has a list of names that they use to call people uh, a beast. A bad egg, bad news, a black sheep, a creep, a good-for-nothing, a heel, a low life, a maggot, rascal, reprobate, villain, wretch, beast, bad apple, a jerk, a bum, all the things you're hoping your son doesn't become. But it's interesting, not only Abigail, but also the servant uses the same term. When she's talking to Abigail, he's saying, well, you know what a jerk this guy is. <laughs> if anybody's going to save and salvage this situation, it's got to be you. There's no hope with him Handling this situation. Now let's look at a comparison between Abigail and Nabal. Uh, this odd couple. She was responsive; he was unresponsive. And this is a, a helpful tool in Bible study. A lot of times, to set up a compare and contrast between people, between situations. Um, and this show this is a, a contrast. She was grateful; Nabal was ungrateful. She was generous; generous. He was stingy. He had plenty of food. Plenty of animals. He just wasn't going to share. Abigail was complimentary. Nabal was insulting. Abigail was humble. Nabal was arrogant. She was polite. He was rude. She was sweet. He was nasty. She was wise and he was foolish. Not only was he shooting himself in the foot, because you think about it you've got David, and you've got 600 men, and they're they're all armed. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Nabal had not hired Blackwater to, to uh, watch over his flocks. You know, I mean, he had his shepherds and they had their sticks and stuff. But I mean, it probably wasn't that many. And it was an awful lot of animals to watch over. And if he made David mad, David could just go take whatever he wanted. So, I mean, even if you're just talking selfishly, <laughs> he didn't handle this situation very well. Uh, he, was, he was really being foolish. Let's take a look at uh, a little closer at what she says now. Her her little speech here, and see it starts in around verse twenty-three. It's interesting. This is the longest speech, I think, of any woman in the Bible, or at least in the Old Testament. And so, really, in in one sense, this is a very small incident. You think this is just, you know, the kind of things that. I don't know, your child might come home and tell you a story, and they go on and on and tell you all the details. I don't really need all the details on this. Uh, and you think, why, why does he give so many details on this particular story? And I think it's safe to assume in cases like this that when God goes on and on about something or allows that story to be preserved at that length, whether it's the Gospels or the story of when the, that's recounted three times when Sennacherib came against Jerusalem, and Hezekiah prayed and God delivered him. That whenever there's that much space devoted to it in Scripture, it's, it, it's there for a reason. There's something there that God wants you to, to notice. He's not just trying to satisfy your curiosity or tell you a nice story. So this, apparently, for God, is a very significant story. And she says, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Now, from what we've said so far, what, what do you notice about that phrase, what she just said? You think, how is this your fault? (laughs) My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak. Hear what your servant has to say. My Lord, may my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man. And what did we say the phrase was there? Man of Belial. Nabal, he is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. By the way, Nabal means foolish, as it it says in the text. You know what Abigail means? Some of you may have an Abigail, so you know this. Ab is father, Abbey is my father, and Gail apparently is joy. So Abigail is my father is joy. So it was sort of like naming your daughter Sunshine or something, you know, I guess, and who knows what. Nabal's parents were thinking when they named him Idiot, you know. (laughs) But You know, your your children tend to live out the words that you speak over them. And so even when they're going through a hard time, it's important to watch the way you speak to them because they tend to grow into the words that you speak about them. And apparently that's what Nabal did. He says, now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed, She's just assuming that she's going to have success in talking about killing Nabal. And from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master, all this food and stuff, be given to the men who follow you. Now when she says your servant, who's your, who's you meaning? Her. Her, right. She says, I'm your servant. Please forgive your servant's offense. So again she's still saying it's really all my fault. And please forgive. Now notice what she says for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Where'd she come up with that? This is Robin Hood out in the in Sherwood Forest with his merry men, you know. And she says, you know, we're not waiting for King Richard. You are King Richard. You know, apparently word had gotten around, finally, that Samuel had anointed David as the next king. I guess his, his brothers were a high security risk, and they leaked the information. But... So word had gotten around, and Nabal knew that, but he just thought, well, it's never going to happen. With that saying that, she's saying, you're going to be king? Uh, you're going to have a dynasty? In other words, there are going to be other kings that come out of you? It's going to be a lasting dynasty because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. You should, if you're going to be a king, be a noble one. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, I wonder who that could be. Somebody. (laughs) We didn't used to want to talk about Santa Claus in our house too much. You know, we kind of wanted to have the fun, but, you know, not have the wrong theology. So we would say, well, you know, Santa Claus is more of a tradition. But somebody comes at night, you know. I mean, we don't necessarily know who that somebody is, so we kind of have a little bit of mystery there just by saying it's somebody. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, that God will take care of you as you trust in him. I mean, look at the kind of things she's speaking out into his life. It's pretty amazing. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Nobody had forgotten the Goliath story. I mean, that was, a big, that was big news. It probably grew with the telling, you know. Uh, so she just mentions that thing about the sling, you know. Uh, but saying that God will take care of him as he did with Goliath. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and appointed him leader over Israel, my master won't have these kind of things on his conscience. That In anger he went out and took vengeance. She says, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he has promised. Uh, do you see that spirit of faith and hope? When you speak to your, speak to your child, someday you're going to be great for God. And when that happens, I want you to pray for me. <laughs> but looking ahead and viewing that God is going to be faithful and take care of him and, and do all that God has promised and when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. Doesn't that remind you of the thief on the cross? Lord, when you come into your glory, remember me. He says, This day you'll be with me in paradise. So, anyway, well, let's, uh, let's look at a little bit of so what on this. Before we see Nabal, we see uh, our beasts. Nabal, proud, arrogant, closed, unapproachable. Are you a beast? My dad used to, in our family, the, the boys were the beasts and, and the girls were the sugar. So my dad was the big beast and we were all the beasts. And then my sister was the little sugar. My mom was the sugar. But, but Nabel really was a beast. I wonder today, are you like Nabal or or are you a learner? Can you receive correction and input? Do you listen to your spouse and your kids or are you unapproachable? Do you have any idea what they might say? If they thought you would listen and not get mad. And we see David, David, uh, we, I mean David's the star of the show, we really like David, but this is an edgy story, you know, it's not like every, the, the noble guy's always noble, here he, he sort of slips a bit. We see he's got anger issues, uh, he got murderously mad, he became very dangerous, he was overreacting, here he'd been slighted by Nabal, he was ready to go kill every man there. That was, his, that was the limit of his nobility, he wasn't going to kill the women, <laughs> but it was definitely overreacting here, and yet he felt completely justified, which is a characteristic of people that get completely overcome with rage, uh, and why it's often dangerous to get in their way, because they'll end up including you in, as a target. I wonder, uh, do you have anger issues? Do you get angry often? Are you getting more violent? Are your wife and kids scared of you? Or is your husband afraid of you? I think it's interesting to see here that even God's best guy had anger problems. But at least, different from Nabal and David, David was at least uh, approachable. and, And Nabal wasn't. And that, I think, was what, as we talk about a man after God's own heart, doesn't mean that you never struggle with anger, it's that, can anybody really speak into your life? It wasn't that he couldn't blow it, but that he could learn and repent and change. And then we look at the beauty, Abigail, Uh, in one sense she's a type of Christ, when she says, on me alone be the guilt, when really it's hard to figure out how any of it was her problem. Uh, we see her interceding before a wrathful leader on behalf of her brute husband, Nabal. And Jesus stepped into the gap between us and the wrath of God. God had said, the soul that sins shall die. I'm angry at the wicked every day. And Jesus steps into the gap and says, on me alone be all the sins of, uh, of all of my Nabals that I'm trying to save. And she stands between the avenger and the victim with gifts and pleas. She takes the sin on herself. She says, please forgive this transgression of your maidservant. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a beautiful picture of the work of Christ, standing in the gap, being a peacemaker, being courageous. So in closing, let's look at this dynamic of the beauty and the beast. You know, I think with these... Children's stories, uh, fairy tales, folk tales, a lot of the the ones that are the most popular and long-lasting are ones that touch a deep truth in the human makeup, in the way we uh, deal with issues, with problems, with righteousness, with unrighteousness. When we think about the the Beauty and the Beast story, thinking, well, what, what are the themes running through that? You know, I think people tend to, say, the prevailing opinion for the, for men is that we tend to be beasts. Now, we want to be equal opportunity employers here. We know women can, if they work at it, they can be beasts too, <laughs> so feel free. But, uh, but usually men have more of a problem with, with anger, with violence, and they and society has said, or common folk wisdom, is it really takes a, a woman to civilize a man, and it, it's amazing what a difference uh, a woman's touch can make. But let's talk about the men first, and not, not meaning that women can't be beasts, but since this passage all the men are beasts and the one woman is, is the beauty, we'll, we'll leave it at that for this, for, for this week. But I'd say the beast is characterized by being someone who's angry, closed, they're easily offended, they can be violent, unkind, and unteachable. With Nabal we see his uh, gluttony and drunkenness is highlighted, and in a man's life there can be addiction to food, to alcohol, to pleasure, to pornography, something that happens a lot of times with men that helps keep them beasts, There's no real friendships with other men. They kind of get closed off. I wonder today if you're in some kind of a small group. I wonder if you decided on purpose not to go to the men's retreat. It wasn't that you had a genuine reason not to. You just decided not to go. And that's just shutting yourself off. I'm not saying if you didn't go, you're a beast. There were a bunch of beasts there. But uh, at least you're trying to be better, you know. But that whole idea of being closed, of of being unapproachable, of not having any intimate relationships with other men, of even avoiding things like that. Do you have the courage to ask your mate, to ask your wife, in what ways am I a beast? Do you feel you can, to ask her, do you feel you can talk to me about the things that aren't right in my life? Or would you say, no, I, I just can't talk to him? I can't can't really tell him the truth. Can your wife tell you the truth? Are you ready to deal with your sin, whatever it is? I think this passage challenges us to humble ourselves and be willing to ask for help. And if someone is trying to help you, beasts, don't make their job so difficult. If somebody gets up the courage to rebuke you or reprove you, the best thing you can do is thank them. Normally when someone reproves you it's never a hundred percent right and because of our pride we latch on to whatever is not right, five percent, fifty percent, ninety percent, and try to hold throw the whole thing away based on whatever we see is not quite right in that reproof. But the humble response is to recognize God doesn't hold me responsible for anything of the proof that was incorrect. But if there's even 1% in there that is correct, he's waiting to see, what. Well, Henry, what are you going to do about that? If someone's trying to help you, don't make their job difficult. And let's talk about the beauty, the one who is going to civilize the beast. Women have a tremendous power to influence men for good or for evil. But it's very important also to learn to do it in the right way. Proverbs 25.12 says, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. A wise reprover to a listening ear. A wise reprover somebody who knows how to speak to someone else about an issue in their life. Not just what to say, how to say it. And a listening ear, someone who's willing to receive it and profit from it. Proverbs twenty-five, twelve. So women, do you know how to gain a hearing? Or do you just nag and pout? Look at Abigail's approach to David again. She was humble, even though she could have said, am I the only sane person here? Have we all gone crazy? Uh, she goes humbly. She accepts blame. Even to a large extent, she was blameless even so, she says, it's okay. Like Christ, she took on the blame of others. And that's a very powerful thing. When you don't go in, depending on your righteousness, but saying, well, let's just say it's all my fault. If that'll open up a door for us to move ahead. She was respectful. She doesn't come in accusing David. She was submissive. She didn't usurp his leadership role. She still let him make the decision. And she was gracious. Do you notice the way she addressed him? What did she say? Not you beast. (laughs) You're another man of Belial. I'm surrounded by him. This is uh, my Lord. She was respectful. Are you respectful of your husband? Are you humble in the way you approach him? Are you willing to recognize that if I'd been a better wife, he'd be a better husband? And husband's the same way. You know, some of you are very unhappy with with the way your wife is right now, perhaps. You don't want to tell her that, or maybe you have told her that. But the fact is, if you'd been a better leader, she'd be a better woman. If she's been in your care for over two to five years, and she is, a large, to a large extent, a product of your leadership, and if you don't like what you see in her life, you need to say, Lord, what, what do you need to do to upgrade my leadership? I'm the shepherd of this flock. And if that sheep is limping, it's something I failed in. Don't you see the power of humility? Don't you see how that withdraws a deeper and more genuine response from the other person? You may think, it wives, it's just because he's closed and unteachable. He's the beast. But maybe you haven't been the beauty. God wants to teach you how to really inspire your man to great things. Look at how Abigail knows how to look ahead and see what God is going to do through David. Are you are you viewing things through the eyes of faith, or are you finding that you're tending to be negative, pessimistic, critical? We all struggle with that. Uh, Wendy says I'm sort of like Eeyore sometimes. When something doesn't go right, I just assume everything's going to go wrong. (laughs) Now she says, "Stop it," (laughs) and I need her to help me like that. God has made you to be a beauty women, but just as the beast has to be open and teachable, you have to be open and teachable too. I wonder, do you let your husband speak into your life? Or does he know he better keep his mouth shut or we're going to enter another ice age? So to all the beasts out there, let me tell you, there's hope. Look at all that God did with David. That's just incredible. It's wonderful what God did with David, even though he was a beast sometimes. And to all the potential beauties out there, don't be discouraged. We desperately need your help. We need your input. There are things that women perceive that men can't perceive. They will never get. The only hope they have is that they get your proper input, given the right way. And ladies, we're sorry we are so difficult. But as you fulfill your role, we want you to know you're like Christ himself, interceding for us. Saving us from ourselves, challenging us to become all we can be for God. Your man will grow up into the image that you have of him. So, beasts, let's respond to our beauties, beauties. Hang in there with your beasts. I'm gonna give us, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna give us a moment to just think about uh, what we've talked about, just just be quiet, maybe jot down a thought. Go back and star a particular point, and I'll put on our music just as our theme song. But let me pray, and uh, we'll start that. Lord, thank you so much that David didn't go out and kill Nabal. It would have been such a a blight, a scar, a sad memory that could not be changed. I pray also for any men today here that really have anger issues, that have gotten violent, that are unapproachable. Lord, that you would melt their hearts, that you would give them the heart of David. I pray for the women, for the wives, that you would help them to learn from Abigail's example and help us all, Lord, to be open and teachable by the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.